Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's Mall Over Podcast, the only regular podcast that gives you all the news, news, and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, or the West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mall Over Podcast. We are Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook, and you can find all of our content on the Sports Social Network, uh, Sports Podcast Network, Sports Social Network. I don't even know what that is. Um, yeah, but we won't be bought. World Rugby will not censor us. That is a fact. Um, as Adam quite rightly pointed out, I will sell out for um, male grooming tools. I will sell out for uh, Canterbury stash. I will sell out for most other things. But if World Rugby come and knocking at the door, it's a no from me. Uh, I'm joined this week. Um, we've got another change in the guard. The farm vets here, the housewife's favourite, all the way from Carmarthen this week in Welsh Wales. How you doing, Phil? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. All right. Are you in um, Dan Thomas territory this week? I'm very much in Dan Thomas territory. I am tomorrow. I will be at his best mate's old man's farm. Best mate's old man's farm. Yeah, I mean that's basically everyone in Wales, isn't it? Pretty much. Fair. And uh, we're also joined by the lensman, um, fresh from the darts last week. How are you doing? I'm all. Right. You just just all right? Yeah. Good. Good. Um, <laughs> before we go any further, let's let's kick off this week, um, with some minor controversy. Over the weekend, I say controversy, but there was a bit of a fiore, 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 fiore. It's not fury, is it? It's fiore. Just be I Ben just... for the week, huh? Just be Ben for the week. Just be Ben for a week. What? Not being able to pronounce anything. Just say what you want. It doesn't matter if it's right. <laughs> I'm trying to. Th- I I know the word I want to say. I just don't know whether I can say it. Um, Ferrari. Ferrari. Bit of a Ferrari this Ferrari. week. Ferrari. For Rory, yeah. Rory Sutherland. Um, and I somehow managed to blow up. And, and those of you that have got the all over podcast Twitter on your phones, I hope you were able to mute and or, or turn off notifications if you had them on for the all over account, because it went a bit bananas on uh, on Sunday after I retweeted that little passage from um, Lawrence Delalio claiming that wasps were basically, for what of a better phrase, too big to go down. Um, which which was a little bit, in, for my mind, insensitive. A little bit, um, 
in bad taste, considering his entire argument was, well, war wasps have got a bit of a history, so they kind of should be treated differently to Worcester. Um, he backpedaled quicker than a, a clown on a unicycle after the game. But, you know, it, those yeah, comments... I, I, I haven't seen... What, what yeah. was the backpedaling? I didn't see any of that. Well, the backpedaling was was after the game when Nick Easter was in the studio and it was all about rugby family and clubs being treated equally and all that sort of stuff. So there was obviously some kind of word said after after the comments and, and what blew up on social media because it did go pretty ballistic. Um, He's also um, since added a, a clarification, not an apology, on what he meant um, through his other media commitments. And what and what was that clarification, Phil? Have you seen it? Uh, he, he's come out and said that he doesn't think that wasps should be treated any differently to Worcester should they go into administration, but he just thinks that there's a lot of heritage around that club that it would be a massive shame should it happen, which pretty much contravenes what he did say. But, I mean, what he did say was was in my opinion, wrong. Wasp shouldn't be treated any differently if they go into administration. But everything in the lead up to that was actually quite useful to get a bit of insight into the situation that's happening at Wasps, if you care that much about it. I'd rather watch rugby. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all would. But, you know, we find ourselves in a position where we've got, where we've got clubs going out of business. We've got, we've got Wasps who potentially could enter administration if not be bought out by someone like Mike Ashley, which, you know, Lord only knows hilarious. What, what if wasps get bought by, by Mike Ashley. Um, but you put Steve Bruce in charge. Yeah. Rightly or wrongly. It seems that, you know, his, the comments that he made, it, it smacked of to me, it smacked of entitlement. And it was, it was very much, it wasn't a balanced, you know, view of, you know, I understand what's happened to Worcester. We, you know, we have to accept the same punishments, et cetera, et cetera, being a, a Wasp director. It was all leveled at, well, Wasps have got great history. Wasps are, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, wasps are this and Wasps are that. Almost almost sort of degrading any achievement or that Worcester had ever existed. Um, and, you know, Wasps used to be an identity. Wasps used to be a you know, a, a big brand. I think the, the minute they up sticks and moved out of London, you know, further away when they went to Wickham and then even further to, to Coventry, I think they, they kind of lost all that. And and they lost a lot of people along the way. So so for Delalio to come out and, and, and claim Worcester being one of the, Worcester, Wasps being one of the biggest clubs in the world, I think is, you know, is quite frankly wrong. And just because he played in an era where they were moderately successful, it seems again a, a, a bit entitled um, for him to go down that to go down that road. And obviously, Phil, you mentioned there that he stated that you know all clubs should be treated equally and they should be dealt with in the same way as Worcester if if they go into administration. It would have been very easy for him to say that before the game, but he didn't. And you know whether that's just poor wording or naivety or what everybody knows he's on the board of directors at wasps and you know he's yeah, and he, would, he wouldn't have been asked for for that opinion if he wasn't 
it just would have been nice for him to have come out and said it a bit clearer. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's really not, I don't know. I, I'm finding it hard not to get, let me think about the wording. Um, it would be easy to get over-concerned about other clubs on the in the light of what's happened to both Worcester and Wasps. But actually, when you look at it, on if you scratch the surface at Worcester, it looks like the owners were just really badly managing it and, and kind of fleecing it a little bit for personal gains. And if what Wasps have done, moved away from their fan base, they're overcharging for tickets and they're getting 6,000 turn up to a home game. So it's not really a surprise that it's not working. Um, and I'm, I'm probably more concerned that at the moment costs for clubs are going up quite quickly um, attendances are going down, although ticket prices are going up, and they're probably bringing in a similar amount of money. That I don't think we're going to see another club go bust this year, but there is going to be a a drain over the, uh, the forthcoming years on those clubs. That that's what I don't understand, right? Because you know all of all of this clubs being in and out of business. Worcester have, have got a big old catchment area. They're quite a well supported club. Their stadium always looked relatively populated, albeit it was a, a lot smaller place than what the, the, the Coventry City Stadium is. Um, but you only have to what you only have to have looked at, you know, 10 minutes of the game yesterday on Sunday between Wasps and Northampton. That stadium was near empty. Yeah. Is you know is is that because it's such a big place that the fans rattle around in it? Or, you know, charging 50 quid for a ticket on a Sunday afternoon will just put families off completely. And and it's not helping themselves. So I've only been up there once to watch a game. I watched the European Cup match against Exeter. And it's a pain in the ass of a place to get to. Um, They screwed up all the transport away from it. And even then when it had fairly significant amount of people there they still had one end shut off and there was space around you and it just as a result of that just lacks that atmosphere like if you go what's what's the best sports places to go and watch sports it's not these big open grounds where there's loads of space it's it's something nice and tight where the person in front of you sat on your lap and you can you can feel the the emotion in it i know that's bollocks because you can never feel an emotion i know what i know what you mean i know what you mean and and they've they've just gone to something that's a big open space miles away from their fan base and And then charged a fortune for people to come and i get these things cost money to host i get stewarding cost money i get all of all of those things but you could outweigh that with volume yeah if if you were able to entice and fill it you know you i've i've heard a lot of good and bad things um, about Bristol at Ashton Gate uh, on Friday night, encouraging cheap ticket prices, which is potentially encouraging the wrong type of people attending in their view. The people. Um, Well, uh, uh, apparently, according to some supporters. People don't own corduroys. Yeah, well, like um, what they were described, they were described as football fans. It's been said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've noted. So I know people, or I've heard people that who, who were at Bristol on Friday night specifically, where groups of, of young lads 
in sort of football kit or football shirts, whatever, basically lads on the piss on a Friday night in and around the ground where there are obviously where there would have been families and, and people trying to enjoy the rugby acting in a way that potentially, and I want to be careful here because rugby has put itself very much on a pedestal with regards to fan behavior and, you know, oh, rugby sets a, a different um, level of standards, which actually when you dig deeper, it really doesn't. Um but if people, if they're, you know, women and children and people in, in stadiums and they're getting beer chucked on them by, you know, 18 to 20 year old pissed up fans that have just gone for somewhere to go on the piss, it, you know, it might put those people going off, off going again. So, right. So we, I, I'm staggered by that. I, we want to grow the game, but grow the game to the right people. Yeah, yeah, no. So, uh, mate, I've, I've, you know, I've not experienced it. I've, it's what I've read. It's what I've, you know, what I've heard. Um, uh, rugby can eat a dick, man. It's so fucking stupid, honestly. It, it really is. Yeah, uh, we but, want to grow the game, but you've got to be the right kind of person, otherwise, don't come. Yeah. yeah, I don't want you young people trying to have fun here. You can, you can go away and watch football. <laughs> fucking idiots. And that, and Unless that's pretty much, Tarquin. and that's pretty much what it was. Idiots. That that's pretty much what it what what was the gist of the the tone of messages that I that I'd seen over the weekend on Friday night specifically, and we'll we'll come to the game and stuff. But oh, so fuck me off that as idiots, idiots. But, but, but Bristol, Bristol are, are getting eighteen, nineteen thousand people into Ashton Gate. Quite eighteen thousand, Russ. Well, We'd rather yeah, have but, two thousand wasps as long as they're wearing the right corduroys. Yeah, but so. That's not something I care about. All I'm saying is that there are people that have that opinion. Now, well, as a, a as a business model, Brit, you you would say that Bristol have got it right because if they've got eighteen thousand people in Ashton Gate, let's say paying an average of twenty five quid a ticket on average, there'll be more expensive tickets. There'll be cheaper tickets, but eighteen lots of twenty five. You know, eighteen thousand lots of right. 450,000, Phil, did you say? Yeah. So, you know, add on to that all of the beer and food and stuff they're going to sell while they're there. That's that's the other thing. What kind of miserable twat goes to rugby and doesn't at least buy a pint or some chips or whatever? The kind kind that shits themselves when somebody gets a head knock and doesn't get stretched off and then is out for 12 weeks. Yeah. So, actually... And leave rugby to people who actually like it, like the lads who are going there for a good time. Yeah, fill the stadium, give them five pints each, let them have a laugh. All those people can bugger off and watch tennis. (laughs) Or just have air, you know... I came here hoping to talk about having a nice time chatting about rugby and I'm I'm monked off because of all these fucking idiots everywhere. There are idiots everywhere, Doug. And you never come here to have a nice time to talk about rugby. Don't lie to me. You come here to have a nice time taking the piss out of me. Well, yeah. And, you know, whatever else comes along. At the moment, because I'm so I'm, I'm shaking with rage about people who are angry that the wrong people are going to rugby. When there's rugby clubs going to the wall because not enough people are watching them. Honestly. Like I said, rugby eats itself from the inside. In other news... Newquay Hornets played a friendly against the touring side on Saturday who turned up with nine players. So we lent them five, played a game of 14 aside, 
And we had probably 150 people there watching it, more than we had for our first league game. What? For, yeah. How are we not... I think, but we can't get a game for them all over Invitational? Uh, it's the wrong week. So it's logistics. Logistics was no there's no first team game this week. So, you know, let's let's just park that for a minute and uh, you know, we'll come back to that later. Let's talk let's talk about some some actual rugby and, and obviously we mentioned that the game at Ashton Gate on Friday night, Bristol versus Exeter. Um and what was well for me anyway, a, a very, very good game. Um Bristol come out early Phil and it and it looked fairly ominous in that first sort of 15 minutes for Exeter set piece for Bristol was working well they got you know the scrum was working what in your opinion obviously Ellis Genge and, and Carl Sinclair got right on top of Hepburn and Williams early and and it seemed that Ridley and and was it Brian Rowe was it Brian Rose the um it was the TMO yeah. yeah they were they were all over Exeter like a rash but as soon as as soon as that tide turned Bristol never never looked in it again from from after that first 15 minutes yeah and it was probably like you could see Genge was clearly up for it and he'd been left out the week before they'd got fairly soundly hammered by um Newcastle and you could see he was he was up for it to the point where he was almost overcharged um and the turning point really was uh, about a couple of minutes, about 14 minutes in, Bristol really dominated the first 10. Um, and about 14 minutes in, Exeter had the ball in hand for their first real significant period of time and didn't really go anywhere. But you could just see Genge start to tipple over the top and then he got carded. And when he got carded, Bristol went to pot, went to absolute pot. And can we be, can we be honest here, right? If Ellis Genge wasn't, England, if that was anybody else on the pitch, if that was Williams or or Hepburn, or if it was a Jake Walmore or you know Will Capon, um, do you think that that would have had a different outcome? Because uh, I I would say eight times out of ten that ends up being a red card, and and not that I want to see people get sent off, and, and, and frankly, I, I'm quite 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 pleased he didn't. Yeah, I think it was exactly the right decision. But I think eight times out of ten, TMOs will talk that up to a red card. Yeah. Um, and to um, to the ref's credit, he wasn't having any of it. Um, but it was it was just a massive turning point. And from that point on, really, Bristol didn't have an answer to anything. Um, the scrum stopped going forwards. They were giving away penalties left, right, and centre, like. The players just didn't seem overly connected in defence. Yeah, and we ended up in a situation where Exeter have gone from from being not only kind of behind, but also not not really clicking as a team. To I mean, the last twenty minutes was embarrassing for. Bristol. It really was embarrassing for Bristol. I mean, they they looked completely gutless, and they they've almost become a parody of themselves in terms of. Like the first season they came up, they had, a, they had, or it might have been the second season, when, whenever Semi got there. So they had Pierre Taran Randrandra and everything was built around them. And yeah. when they clicked, everything else clicked with them. And when they didn't, it was well, like watching a bang. I think, 
Far be it from me. The average championship side. Cast aspersions on certain elements of that side. But there seems to be quite a few egos who, if they don't fancy it that day, might have a detrimental effect on the entire team. Yeah. The Carl Finkler effect. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm I not agree. saying any names. No, let's... no, no that, that's what it's officially termed. So, so that's it. the season when Bristol came up. And they blew, you know, they kind of blew everybody away with, with the attacking flair. And, you know, I think they, you underestimate the impact of the, um, the likes of Luatua had on that side. Luatua, yeah. yeah. And um, even like Siali Piatau and, and players that had a little bit more nous, players were raising their game to get up to the levels of Randrandra and Piatau. Piers, Piers O'Connor may as well be a skeleton on a on one of those stands in the center at the moment for all the for all of the work he's doing well, absolutely the, the, just like manicure. the other thing is they they had Vui playing at six and I like Vui I think he's a decent player but I like him as a second row he's not he's not a flanker um they had they used to have Nathan Hughes playing at eight I can't even remember who was playing eight for them um, on Saturday, that or oh, Friday rather, that's how um, inspirational it was. Oh, Bradbury, and he did, he did it okay-ish. Um, but Lua Tua allowing Vui to go into the second row. Hawkins was not a replacement for Vui in the second row. They just like as a team, it almost looks like a preseason squad fixture sometimes. And they make a few changes and it's like a second team or a third team playing. And yes, they've got a few injuries, but that's their job as a club is to make sure that when they have injuries, they've got enough depth there but that they we, don't. And, and the right culture in the players that so that they don't we, fall apart. We said this, like Bath we times. said this, yeah, we said this the other week, didn't we? So, you know, they, their, their salary cap is absolutely marmalized by maybe five or six players. Yeah, and and the drop off between their top earners or what you would say that they're stars, and then the next level is massive. Whereas a lot of clubs tend to go slightly more middle of the road, but across the board because Genge and Sinclair must be taking up a huge part of their salary cap. I get that Pia Tau is the is a um, uh, marquee marquee player, but then Vui won't come cheap. Sheedy won't be cheap. And then, but then you've got the likes of Hawkins and Fricker and Bedlow and, you know, Richard, Le- Richard Lane, Joe Joyce, right? Joe Joyce, fun- functional Bristolian hard man, not really a premiership second row that's going to light it up, especially if he's got Hawkins next to him rather than Vui. And then you, you take it, you know, the, the back row suffers because of it. You know, the week before, Bradbury was was excellent against Newcastle in that defeat. Anonymous on Friday night. Every time Exeter got the ball, especially like from, from 15 minutes on, so for the last sort of 65 minutes, Exeter made ground almost at will at every impact. They, they, they other than in the scrum, where there could have been, you know, could have been some differences, especially towards half-time. Exeter just beat Bristol up in every single facet of the game, and it was men. It was well, and that's really why was used, men against boys. 
and that's where I used the term gutless. It was every single carry from an extra forward, and yes, they've got some good carriers, but every single carry without fail, they're making three, four yards after contact. Yeah. And that that at premiership level just isn't acceptable. Yeah. And then Exeter were bringing off the bench, the likes of Cowan Day viewers, viewers Catter, you know, Schickling. Harvey Skinner's been really impressive this season. Uh, Van Heerden, like they, they've, they're replacing, you know, um, Janice Kirsten with Van Heerden. And, and it's just big lump of meat after big lump of meat. And, you know, Exeter really do look, look something quite like it again. After a quiet season last season, a bit of a bit of a rebuild, maybe a bit of a step back. Where do we need to improve? How do we overcome this uh, being held up over the line thing? Which I think really, really forced them to change their game plan. Because how many times were Exeter used to just batter down teams' try lines until they 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 beat them into submission? And now, as soon as they get held up over the line, they they have to relinquish the ball and have to start again. So they've had to think a bit differently. Um, and one thing that was noticeable, and, and I heard them talk about it on the guys on the X-Chasers, is the, the work rate, the work rate of the Exeter backline, Woodburn and Knoll specifically, um, Capstick and Shinza in the wide channels, they're, they're, yeah. they're expanding their game. I think Capstick is probably a year off becoming the player that he needs to be for Exeter to, to seriously challenge at the top. Um, I don't think he's quite got the physicality there yet. Um, I think they're also looking at, I mean, they, Exeter for the first 10 games last season probably played the same side or the bulk of the same side every game, whereas they're quite happy this year to have a look at Simmons at 15, um, shift people around into different places, have a look at different options. Uh and I think that's been good for them from the for the backline perspective. Um, they are they are looking good. I think Vermeulen coming back is massive because he's just a just a, a lump. Um, not even that big, but just pure physicality about everything. Um, I don't think they'll win the prem. I think they'll no, end up. I mean, they'll end up in the in the semis. I can't see two par past Saracens at the moment, unfortunately. But well, um, Scott, Scott really, Co uh, arrived today, so Scott Co should be available very soon, which will help them at scrum time. I think that's a really good signing for them. Yeah. Um, and there's talk of um, potentially them signing Ted Hill. Obviously, he's at lo- on loan at Bath at the moment, but there's talk of Exeter going in for Ted Hill, which I think would be an, an amazing move. Right. If they can get him fit, if they can get well, um, he played. Ted Hill has played a lot of games for Worcester in both second row and um, and in the back row. And six, uh, yeah. And I think that you know, um, still very young. In so just t- taking that comparison and running with it for a minute, or that between Exeter and Saracens, it's quite interesting. Exeter's game is based on hard carries and distance post contact. Um, and wearing teams down and sucking players in that way. The thing that is super impressive about Saracens at the moment is just the speed of ruck ball. It's about support runners being right on top of that ball carrier. They scored a, they scored a try 
last week, I think, where they went through seven or eight phases where the average ruck speed from point of from the tackle being defined, so knee down or shoulder down or whatever, to the ball leaving the scrum house hands was 0.8 seconds. That is just absolutely ridiculous. You can't defend that. No, well, no team can defend that consistent speed of ruck ball. No. It's just it's just not possible. So, you know. But again, like just going back to just going back to Exeter and, and Bristol. Um I think for for Bristol, they've they see they've seen very much, and and Doug mentioned it, is they've got they've got the big players that have got very much an attitude and when everything's going in their direction, the garden is rosy. As soon as it doesn't, it can seem to implode very quickly. And I think Pat Lamb's style of management might not um, suit that sort of player too well in the long term. I think that that could be quite confrontational and quite, quite toxic. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that, but it seems obviously he's he um, seems a bit of a. I'm calling it now. I reckon Lamb will go at the end of the season, even though he just signed a or recently signed a six-year contract. It's the Alan Par he signed the Alan Pardew contract, didn't he? Exactly. They'd have to pay him too much for that to happen. And he won't walk away. He won't walk away, given the fact that he's got that length of contract. He'd be fucking nuts, wouldn't he? So Lansdowne will have to pay him off. So, who who the fuck knows? Um, I did want to very quickly mention, yet again, without sounding like a broken record, sick to shit of TMOs just inserting themselves into the game, and I get and, and I assume that in all of these sort of circumstances. It's got to be the referee, right? Before the game, they'll have their little meeting. And Christoph Ridley will say to, to, to Brian Rose, Oh yeah, you know, just just jump in whenever I want you to uh, I want you to to tell me about knock-ons and forward passes and this and that and this and everything. Um there were at least three times on Friday night where Brian Rose called a knock-on on the floor both ways in the middle of the field at the bottom of a ruck when Christoph Ridley has stood right there looking at the ball and let play on. He's he, like, he's no more than about three feet away looking at that exact point. Now, if Ridley's not seen it, just let the game go. Just carry on. There's no reason for the TMA to go, oh, Christoph, Christoph, there's a uh, dock on there by White, Christoph, Christoph. It's fuck. It's so infuriating, and it and it then renders the game borderline unwatchable because it's so stop start. It's it's stop start enough as it is. Just let those little things. If the ref doesn't see it, let it go, unless it's in the direct you know action around scoring a try. Just fucking let it go for the love of God, please. Um. Try scoring or foul play. I thought that was the remit of the TMO. Has that officially changed? I think, but every game's different. Every little refer, every little referee crew is different, which says to me 
it's the guy on the field who sets the the stall out or the the parameters of what he wants to hear from the TMO. And then that then says to me, it's the the strength of the referee. Because if the referee isn't confident enough to be making those decisions on his own and he wants the TMO to do it, then why is he refereeing in the first place? The best referees don't really listen to the TMO. The TMO puts the, the stuff on the screen and the referee makes a decision. The best referee, that's what the best referees do. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm wondering whether Doug might have any insight in terms of who leads the relationship. Is it the ref or the TMO who decides what that relationship looks like? It varies from, from game to game, official to official. They they sort of set their own parameters, really. Um, I don't really don't really get it. Having done again the Army Navy game last year without a TMO, I thought it worked better. But there is no clear remit, and that uh, again, it's a it's a problem with the structure of the game at the moment, like the rules at the top level just seems to be made up on a weekly basis. It's like this week, we're going to do this this week. We're going to do this. It, it just, none of it makes any sense. None of it is for the, for the good of the game. From what I can see, it seems to be uh, whatever the flavor of that week is. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't fucking know. I think it. I think it must be down. It must be down to that referee crew. Sense at the moment, none of it. No, and that's and that's the biggest problem. I think, especially as as fans, we're all trying to make some sort of sense of it. And if the people that are in charge of it are flip flapping, then how how is a a consumer of the product? going to understand what's going on. And and we're talking as, you know, experienced rugby people. Having watched rugby pretty much all of our lives, played rugby to a decent level, you know, not professionally, but we know the game. We know how, you know, we like it to be played. Ben likes it played in a little 9-6 ball fest. You know, some people like try, some people people don't. But... If if we can't make sense of it, what chance have we got in encouraging new people into the sport to try and make it grow to be sustainable? When when people that understand well, it can't even make sense of it, if, um, we're only allowed to grow it to certain people anyway. <laughs> Again, that that is true. That is true. You've got to be the right kind of person to grow the game to. You can't, you know. <laughs> He got to wear red slacks and gingham shirts. Um, go on. No, it just annoys me. It annoys me that the game's in this state because you go back to... I've got to be careful, Russ. Like, if I'm speaking as, as purely as a fan, I don't think the game was... A, ever in a better position than before. Yeah, yeah. Before. Than, than before. The game was in a better position when Sky ran it, in my humble opinion. 
because what Sky had was an element of control over the clubs. When BT and BT have done a, obviously done a brilliant job with their coverage and their, you know, they've they've modernised the coverage of rugby. But in order to do that, the clubs took a, a great deal of the power back. And so when when they when they sold the rights to European competition, it was sold to BT as you can have these rights, but they're owned by us. And so I don't do you, do you know how oh, uh, do you know how put, put your phone on silent? That, that's for one thing. Well, I can't because it's linked to my Mac and I've got somebody emailing me and it's just like I wish he'd piss off, but he won't. Um <laughs> So effectively, what happened was Sky had the rights to the European Cup. The English Premiership clubs decided that the rights to their matches in Europe were not owned by Sky. They were owned by the clubs. And in order, and and to that end, they had the right to sell those games to whoever they wanted. And um, and let's be honest, the the, the member clubs are really good at, at making financial decisions like that, aren't they? Well, but look, so do you, you remember when that happened, we had the the season or two where Sky and BT shared European yeah. rugby? Yeah. Now, that was because EPCR sold the rights to their competition, the Heineken Cup, to Sky. But then it rebranded and became a different competition and the English clubs decided that their contract wasn't valid with Sky, so they sold it to BT for more money. Now, because of this, the clubs then became empowered to say that we control everything. So there are games, and we do this and we do that. And the point I'm trying to make is they've gone, they've gone down this road, and I can't even remember what I'm trying to say now. Where was I going with this? You were trying not to trip yourself up. That's yeah. Um, um, th- that was it. Because Sky had more control over the game, they controlled... Ali, I'm serious, mate. If you're listening to this podcast, stop fucking texting me. I mean it. If you listen to this podcast tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Um, they had control, Sky had control of the game, so they controlled more of the narrative and the and more of the messaging around um, the game. BT have got that now, but the clubs control a lot of the messaging and they can't really do what they want to do. I, I think they're sort of there's, there's the clubs dictate the message and BT have to toe the line to a certain extent. Does that make sense? Yeah, and and what and what it I'm gonna kill him. And what it and what it means is the clubs the clubs have all the power, and with the clubs having all the power, they're the only ones that seemingly get a say. Um, and as and as I've already said, you know, it looks like the clubs have, have had the uh, the best yeah, so record of making the decision. Let me tell you for nothing. If the early to mid two thousands broadcast team that produced Sky Rugby were in charge now. 
there would not be the element of, in my opinion, involvement from the TMOs. I, ju I just don't think they would because it is not conducive to good television. And ultimately, that's all Sky wanted to make good television. BT want the same, but they're they're with they're in it together with Premiership Rugby. They they need to sort of work more closely with them. Whereas Sky just would have just said, "What this is what bullshit." Doing it. What you're saying is Sky would have controlled the broadcast and had the final say of what was broadcast and, and what should and shouldn't be broadcast. I, I think so, but it was a different time. Like I don't think. I think the premiership clubs now have, are in a position where they dictate the message, whereas before they were more beholden to Sky for the money. And so Sky had more of an influence over what happened in the game. Yeah. I suppose the, the counter argument to that, Doug, and you know far more about this than I do, so I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just adding a slightly different view. The over-interruptions of the TMOs is not a problem that's limited to the premiership it's a problem that happens in super rugby it happens in top 14 yeah, um, international rugby yeah it happens in international rugby it happens urc uh, and i think it's probably world rugby i world rugby um rfu whoever so the the national unions and the the overarching body have to carry a lot of the 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 blame for the situation as well I think that there, there is a clearly defined set of guidelines, right, for for what the TMO can and can't do, or should and shouldn't do. Yet, in every single game that you watch, that remit will be slightly will be slightly different, depending on who the the refereeing crew are. Yeah, well, there's no universal one-size-fits-all guidance for TMOs. They all seem to have their own their own level of involvement. Now, my point would be that I think in time gone by, that message would have been controlled because I do, like, to your point, Russ, it makes the product less watchable to, to have these, like, this, well, we wouldn't be having these. Why has the TMO got involved in that and not that? And why, what's going on here and there? And like, it's a messy product because you don't know what you're getting week on week. The so reason, I know, I know this is an old football's just a much simpler game. Full stop. You don't have this shit with like. Look at the fuss around VAR in football. But you know what you're going to get with VAR. You know it's only going to get involved if it's a penalty or a tackle or something like that. TMO can get involved in whatever the fuck they want. Whatever they want. You know, it can be something that happened 50 yards off the ball. It could be something that happened five minutes ago. It could be a knock-on. It could be a punch over there. It could, But other times, they just might not get involved. So for every TMO that gets involved in a knock-on, you then expect that across every game, but you don't get it. That that's just a mess. That, that that's not good for anyone. Yeah. Certainly not good for the product. Uh, I agree, and that's where it comes down to the individual crews or the individual referees setting out their setting out their store. Because you, I mean, for all of his for all of his say faults, you know, Barnsley control controls the match. He controls rightly or wrongly, you know, decisions he'll make. Rightly or wrongly, 
but he will control the match. And the TMO, when the TMO gets involved, he controls that discussion. So, um, World Rugby, uh, their guidance on the use of TMO or the TMO protocol amendment was circulated in June this year said that they want TMOs starting for all competitions and standalone matches after the 1st of July, the TMO will be given greater scope, supporting better, quicker decisions. Formal adoption of the current practice of on-the-run decision-making, where the TMO acts as a sweeper on behalf of the referee to examine the following scenarios without stopping play. Scoring incidents, dangerous play, knock-on or throw-forwards, all touch, stroke, touch, touch and goal decisions, including whether a ball was in touch or not and who took it into touch. So basically, World Rugby have come out and said, TMOs, you're there to check behind play for knock-ons, forward passes, whether the ball went in touch, like for, live in the game. So for me, I can't understand why that improves anything. But it doesn't. It doesn't. As demonstrated. So what's the point of it? Because World Rugby think it gives quicker, more accurate decisions. But people don't want quick, accurate decisions. They want rugby being played. What you don't, something I've wanked on about for years, was TMO making something that happened five minutes ago. You then find out that it's um, an offside penalty or something like that, which renders the last five minutes of, of game clock completely irrelevant. And so everybody loses five minutes of rugby. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was there was an incident. I can't remember whether it was in the Exeter game or what, but there was there was an incident where one of the teams was within the five metre line of the opposition try line doing pick and goes or one out runners. Um, and the TMO said, oh, I've got a tackle that I want you to just check. And the ref went, is it foul play? And he went, potentially. So the ref stopped the game to have a look at that incident and decide if it was foul play. Now, if the ref decides that's not foul play, the attacking team have lost their opportunity to get over the trial line and it starts with just a penalty. Why not just let them keep playing? Why do you have to stop the game? Let them keep playing, seeing if they score a try. And if it's foul play, give the guy a card afterwards. Also, also, if it's it's either foul play or it's not foul play. The TMO is a qualified official. It's either foul play or it's not. Yeah. Don't come to me and well, say, oh, it's potentially foul. No, it's, it. it's foul play. You need to make this yeah. decision. Don't say but, potentially. Don't say this. It's a, it, I think this is foul play. But even if it is foul Look play, let, let, them, let them see if they're going to score a try. It's a bit like in football where they where they put the flag up five minutes late, well, oh, 30 yeah, seconds yeah, later. That's a joke. Or, yeah, which, which is a joke. But it's, it's a similar sort of thing. It's almost exactly the same because they're going through phases. Oh, I've just checked. There's a knock-on two minutes ago um, in that last, in in five rocks ago. So there was a knock-on. Uh, go back for a scrum, please. Scrum, knock-on advantage. And it just it just makes the game staccato, if that's the right word. Is that stop-start? Very good word. Huh? Like your chip. Very like, good my, like, like my chipping. Thank you, Douglas. I'm better now. Shot two over tonight through nine. I'll have you know with the card in my hand. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's enough moaning about referees and TMOs. I, I feel like we do it every week, but it it's such a big but, thing in the game at the moment. That it's, and it's because rugby's a, a fundamentally unwatchable product at the moment. 
and it and it seems like it, it's such an easy fix. And everybody I speak to is like, I feel like they've almost fixed it as to how they want it. They want the NFL model where every game is forty eight thirty seven, which is where we are roughly. Yeah. Uh, on, on that note, um, do we want to talk about Wasps' game against Northampton? Yeah. Yeah, why not? I thought it might give Doug an opportunity to talk about Saints being less Saintsy and Wasps being more Saintsy. Well, I haven't watched the game, so I can't talk with any degree of... Um... Well, I, I presume you know what happened. Well, I know what happened, yeah. And it's, you know... It's... It's it's the basketball approach that people are going for, but um, yeah, wasps were they were five points up with about six minutes to go. Got a penalty, slotted it, eight points up with two minutes to go, and then just forget to play rugby. <laughs> just let Northampton score one very good try and one half decent try. Um, but they but, but they yeah. turned into like that last five minutes, wasps turned into Friday night's Bristol. Yeah. The, the yeah. team there's there's a lot made in in the press or you know on commentaries and, and all this sort of stuff about our oh, teams employing this defense defensive coaches and coaches for this and coaches for that. All I see is fucking rubbish defense in the premiership everywhere. You cannot tell me that the attacking play is that good that all of these points are solely down to really good attack. It's just not. It's absolutely woeful first up defense. Um, and you know, and, and it comes from a lack of fatigue. And you see all of these, you see all of these, um, you know. Injury, you talk about injuries, you talk about like collisions, all this sort of stuff. The reason it's able to happen like this is because the game is so stop start. If the game was allowed to play and players were a were were required to be fatigued at any point, going through phases, working through because what's the longest phase of play you, you kind of see nowadays? I bet you you wouldn't see a phase of rugby unless teams are kicking it to each other any longer than about two minutes before there's a penalty or a knock-on. You no, you're probably two or, three, right. two or three minutes. Yeah, you get so you get like maybe once a match you'll get sixteen phases, but yeah, it, it is three phases and a penalty, isn't it? Most of the time. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, players are, are almost con- almost constantly resting. Which then enables, you know, yes, faster attack, but it should then also enable better defense because people aren't tired, but it's not. And I and I can't work it out. It's- I wonder. I wonder if this is as a response to all of the red cards from last season, from slightly missed time tackles, that players are petrified about putting in the big hit, and as a result, they're making much more passive attempts to tackle. Um, I saw we saw on in that Northampton game for the last try, Dave Ribbons took the ball, uh, accelerating but not flat out into Nizam Carr, and Carr went five yards backwards because he stood there and waited for Ribbons to get there. And yeah. physics says he's never going to come the best out of that. Like players are not 
on the whole, attacking the contact area defensively and trying to drive people backwards. And I do wonder if it's fear of red cards. Well, and it's, it's not even that. It's not even that feel. They they they're still tackling in a relatively high position. Do you remember when you're a kid and people used to say, "Well, no one can run without their legs." If somebody if somebody's running at you and you take their legs away from them, they are not going to go any more than about two or three yards, if that, just through momentum. Whereas if you go high, they're going to take you with them for four or five yards at least before they even think about going down. Yeah. Unless it's you're Dan making Lydia. a dominant hit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then it, then it was called a chop tackle. Well, actually, it's just yeah. a tackle. Just tackle around the legs, which is what we were all kind of taught to do when we were kids. Yeah. Like um, it's made to be this special, but, this special thing. But players are finding themselves in the middle ground where they're still fairly upright, but they're not going positively into contact and it's never going to end up right on their side. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm almost, I'm exasperated, exasperated with the level of defence. You know, we, um, we sit here and we talk about rugby and um, we, we, we try really hard or have tried really hard this, this year to put a, a good spin on it. Um, recent events have made it very hard, but the hardest thing of all is to actually sit here and dress it up. Our own shit. Yeah. You know, since 2006, I've worked on at least one rugby match every weekend for every season, right? And I've enjoyed all of it apart from the last couple of years. And and the game has become a mess, dishevelled, just, just, I don't know. I, I wish it was better. I wish it was better. Uh, but I think I do. there, there I really, are a lot just... of, there are a lot of ways to make it better, simpler. Like we it could be fit. Could, there's a lot of things that could improve it overnight. Very, very simple tweaks could improve it overnight. Yeah. The, the problem, the, the overarching problem is that the people at the top don't perceive the issues that the rugby watching public perceive because we're not the people they want watching rugby. They don't give a fuck, mate. That's the, that's the point. But soon they won't have a product left because the clubs are eating themselves from the inside out. So we're losing, we're, we've lost one. Potential that another one could be following it very soon that leaves 10 teams it's what you know and and why why aren't the why aren't the rest of the the member shareholders jumping to the defense of Worcester and and Wasps why aren't they clubbing together and go you know what how can we make this better for everyone I'll tell you why because when there's less teams the ones that are left all get a bigger share of the money I I think it's been telling that since Worcester have gone, there's been sort of token efforts to sort, you know, 
say, oh, it's it's bad, but really all that's happened is the vultures have circled for them players. Yeah. And and now players are signing on full to full term contracts. So Lawrence and um the Aussie guy, the back rower, have signed for Bath um on long term deals. I know uh, Tom Howe and um Kitchener, not Graham. Andrew. Andrew has signed for Saracens today. Obviously, Van der Merwe has gone back to Scotland and Sutherland's gone to Ulster. Um but the rest of the players, it's almost like, you know, clubs, they couldn't have had that much salary cap left. I know there's some loan deals and there'll be people, you know, doing some funny, funny dealings, but... Injury dispensations yeah, and crap like that. Yeah, but like, those where's players... Who's, who's... Where, where's the... Where, where's the acknowledgement that there's a problem? Because it doesn't uh, well, not like, not from Lawrence to Lalio. But it doesn't see it doesn't seem to me like anyone's actually saying we're in a bit of a mess. I think I think one of the sale owners may have said it, but it as I as I said a couple of weeks ago, all of these clubs are in the same position. All it would take is one bloke to decide he's had enough and that's your lot. Yeah. I mean, Steve Lansdowne, for instance, Bristol would be, well, they'd be nowhere. Tony Rowe. Like they, 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 these clubs would almost disappear off the face of the earth overnight. If these, if these people disappeared, I think old Bruce, what's his name? Couldn't get out of bath fast enough. If somebody would buy it off him. Yeah. It's not a viable, it's not a viable business commodity, is it? Which is why you can't sell it. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Again, it's it's difficult. The whole thing is is fucking rotten to its very core. Um, I feel I feel like I've done almost an hour, if not more's worth of, of absolute moaning. So I don't really want to talk about rugby anymore. So let's do some any other business get out of it, shall we? Hmm. Okay. Considering we didn't watch any of the other matches over the weekend. So Doug, why don't you why don't you start us off? Well, Russ, I know you I know you've um you've poo-pooed my tweet, but if anyone hasn't seen it or if anyone hasn't uh taken my advice yet, please watch the bear on Disney Plus. It's so bloody good. What is it, mate? It's about a chef, a, a, a guy who was previously a chef at one of the most exclusive restaurants in the world being left a Chicago area sandwich shop by his brother who killed himself. Keep it light. It, it's a comedy. Oh, right. Okay. But it's a black comedy, but it is, you know, I've, I've said a few times, Oh, this, this show's really good. You should watch it. You should do this. Do this. It, this is, one of the best television programs I've ever watched. Okay. Well, up there with Breaking Bad, The Wire. Um, so brilliantly written and put together, really rounded, full characters, a fantastic story which pulls you in 
and then really gets you at the end. Um, it, it's just brilliant the whole way through. It's eight episodes. I think the longest episode is 40 minutes, maybe even maybe 35. But so it's, it's not a, a massive investment of time, but honestly, it is just fantastic. Fair enough. I'll give it a go. I only poo pooed it because I, I, I was being a funny cunt. Well, you probably thought it was about like mystical bears or something. <laughs> no, I, ha- I had no, seen it. I had seen it before. Uh, not the, the not the watched it, but I'd seen it advertised. What was that one that you mentioned about that that American stoner geezer? What was that one? Ages ago, it was on Breaking Bad. No, 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 no. It was about a guy <laughs> who smoked weed and didn't he have a? There was an episode with Kareem Abdul Jafar. Was it? I can't. Remember oh, Dave. Dave. Yeah, I watched some of that. That was quite funny, I must admit. Mate, uh, look, I don't know a lot, right? I know about making television programs and watching television <laughs> and what's good television. They're the only three things I know. So if I recommend the show, it's not because, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to recommend Gangs of London. <laughs> did I recommend Gangs of London? Yes, you once? fucking did, you idiot. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Housewife's favourite. Have you got any other business? Yeah, so I referenced it earlier. Um, uh, Tor, the rugby club from Glastonbury, came down and played a friendly down in Newquay at the weekend. It was a rest weekend for the first team. Um, they were bringing down originally their second stroke, third stroke vets um, and ended up only with nine players because the first team have had a few injuries and people got called up and people jibbed out. But we ended up having a really nice, friendly game of rugby. We had Marky P refing, so there was no real control from the referee and the players just kind of took it amongst themselves to play the game in the right spirit. But um, their, their loose head prop, um, I played with him in my very first senior game of rugby. Um, he was playing six on that day. Um, and I remember thinking he was relatively old at that time. Yeah, so the legend that is Demisu and Kube played the full entire match at the age of 58 and got round the pitch better than anybody do, else. Do you want to say that name again for the people at the back? Yeah, yeah, Demisu and Kube. Okay. I want Phil, I want Ben to say that name. He's a, yeah, classic Somerset name, that is. Um, but yeah, played the full game at 58, as did Piercy Desgramath, who's 58 as well. But yeah, it was really nice to see some of the guys and share share a couple of beers with them afterwards. Um, but there was obviously uh, Demisu is not the same colour as most other people on the pitch, and there was a humorous moment. We were playing in our away strip, and uh, there was a humorous moment where Mark the ref said there was a knock on there by the black man, and then quickly hey, corrected and he's, himself and, he's not and wrong. said, "You can say man wearing the black shirt." Well, he was wrong because it, it wasn't him. It oh, wasn't right. him. It was one of our players who'd knocked it on. Fair <laughs> enough. And I do, you know, I don't yeah. mind a tiramisu. As, uh... But uh, yeah, so thanks to those guys for coming down and I'm sure we'd love to repay the favour at some point. It'd be lovely to go on tour, Phil. It would. Yeah. But it does look like Nuki Hornets are back to go in towards an even keel. So, you know, the, the thankful thing Yeah, the tide's definitely turned. The thankful thing for everybody means that I 
probably don't have to play, which is great news. Um, yeah. Whenever whenever I ask for availability, Russ, your name always goes to the bottom of the list. And if I get to 19, you drop off. Exactly. And I'm more than happy for that to be the case. As mentioned, I'll come to training and do a bit of tackling or run as defence, but uh, I don't want to play. I'm too old. Um, I didn't really have any other business lined up, um, but I've just seen on, on the socials that... Um, Angela Lansbury's died. So uh, she's not going to be writing any more murders, unfortunately. So um, uh, Was it suspicious circumstances? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think anyone's going to be looking into it. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to be looking into it. That's for certain. Um, especially after Father Dowling died. And, and Dick Van Dyke is uh, otherwise engaged. <laughs> so uh, rest in peace Funny Angela it's never happened on this podcast Phil. <laughs> funniest thing that Phil's ever said in his life <laughs> I'll do the jokes um, right that's it one other thing right um, I went to watch my uh, little lens that play football today for the school um, now going back to the summer holidays Ollie got quite into football and was practicing his keepy ups and you know out in the in the garden, you know, talking about football, always wanted a new football, all this kind of stuff. Finally, so the school picked him for the school team, which is amazing. And obviously, not their first team. It's sort of an inclusive team. Lads don't get picked because obviously, if I haven't, if you haven't heard me say it before, Ollie suffers with. Well, he doesn't suffer. He is high functioning autistic, and that's his lot in life, and so be it. But. I just want to say there's a special place in hell for little shits who rip the piss out of him for not being very good at football and have shot his confidence to bits to the point where he had real anxiety about playing today and was on the pitch constantly looking for a way to get off the pitch because he didn't want to do it. Because in his own words, I'm just not very good at football. Like, I fucking hate kids, man. Just... You know, I just wish uh, uh, things were easier for my little dude because that's um, pretty shit. And that's that's fucking awful, Doug. That that is absolutely fucking awful and like absolutely disgraceful. Um, I was having a conversation with a mum of a kid who I actually I don't. I don't think there was anything other than the fact that they were shit at football and the teammates just laughing at them about how crap they were and then demanding that they don't get on the pitch. So the kid ended up leaving the club and not feeling very welcome. And I tell you what, the parents of those kids need a proper beating. Look, I, because... understand, I understand they're kids and they're going to do this kind of stuff, but... Um... And the coaches as well. The coaches that stand by and just let it happen. But look, the coaches have done their bit by having a team for the lads who don't get picked, right? And there's a team that do and a team that don't. And a team that can and a team that can't. But it's just, you know, it's pretty heartbreaking to watch someone have just... Somebody who suffers with anxiety anyway because of his his, uh, neurological condition... And I understand that that's kids being kids. And Russ, I can probably see you bristling at the thought of it anyway. No, but... no, not at all, right? Because ki- kids are, you know, kids are kids. And we've all been there, right? And, you know, we 
as kids, we've all probably been horrible, more probably more so in our in our generation, um, when there was less uh, awareness to things like autism um, and and the you know the autistic spectrum and where people sat along that. So, so I kind of get, I get it from, from a kid's perspective and it doesn't make it any better by any stretch of the imagination. And it makes it that much harder to process for, for children. Um, but it, it does feel hitting the head. It starts, it starts with the adults in their lives being more aware and being more, you know, being more up to speed on what their kids are doing and saying it's even, even within a sporting environment, like I, I having you know, coached, um, kids sport now for, for quite a few years it's very easy to see when kids are being little shits and it's also very easy to, to stamp down on that quickly oh. and they're the ones that should be left out and excluded until they can operate themselves in a manner which is as inclusive as everything else absolutely and i could you know i i can see um certain personalities with twitter accounts and podcasts that may say oh well they just need to toughen up you know that's just life you need to get on with it no it's not there's no there's no um he he loved playing football and wanted to play football and it shouldn't he shouldn't be excluded or made to feel like he can't because some kids being a little shit by by people who are supposed to be his teammates yeah especially and and I, I don't want this to come out in the wrong way, but I fear it's going to in in a team that is specifically designed for the people that probably but wouldn't yeah, get a game ordinarily. So I that I think it was anyone within that team. I think it was you know kids in the playground when he because he takes his ball to school and he does his keep ups and all that kind of stuff. Right. I think there's other kids in the school saying, "Why are you bothering? You're you're rubbish at football. You can't do this. You can't do that." You know, it, it's it's little things that, as a parent of a child with additional um educational needs that i knew the day would come but it doesn't make it any easier when it does no you know, it, no you just you're completely helpless in yeah. in that regard so and it, and it, and just, um, yeah. if your kids if you if you hear anything if you anyone out there has got kids and they're being mean to other kids who have got not don't have the same advantages in life, then just, just fucking tell them to stop being dicks. Yeah, whether they're your kids or not. Yeah. Like if you hear a, a kid being a dick to another kid, as an adult, yeah. you should stop it. As an adult, yeah. you should be responsible enough, regardless of the situation. You're not being physical. You're not being mean. You're not being abusive. You're not being aggressive. But you were well within your rights to tell any kid to stop being a dick to another kid. Period. The More Over podcast approves that message. Now, yes. bugger off and don't it, be too mad at us. It's probably the only thing that we will all actually agree on ever. So there you go. Anyway, we'll be back next week. Um, hopefully having watched a bit more rugby and a bit less moany than we are this week. Um, but hey, at least we're recording a podcast, eh? Like, we could have no podcast whatsoever. Yeah. And how would you like that? You don't pay for it anyway. You'd yeah. be lucky getting it. Hashtag freeloaders. Yeah. See you later. Go well.
Sports Social Podcast Network.